with us. So if, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Revelation chapter 2. We saw last week talking about the two offices of the church. So kind of the second part of that sermon and I gave you an acrostic, and I was really pleased. I got I got several people either t texting or even calling me on the phone or whatever, saying they had never seen the acrostic before. So this is a great place for me to just go back over. I told you I was tapping nails a little bit last week, if you remember me saying that. That I'm just kind of tapping nails on on kind of why we believe what we believe, and and how it practically works out in our church and in in, in any any Baptist church. <clears throat> so. Our assumption is that very first, that very first one, that the Bible is or Bible as the sole source for our faith and practice, and that means no official creed. I start teaching Baptist history on Tuesday. I'm teaching a seminary class two hours a week on Tuesday, and I'm teaching a Baptist history undergraduate class online two hours a week on Tuesday. And I, this is one of the things I start off with, and it's a kind of an, an acrostic: B A P T I. STS, we'll get on the second slide, but that we don't have an official creed. Now, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with our doctrinal statement. A doctrinal statement is a great thing. Creeds can be great. We have the Nicene Creed. A lot of great stuff in the Nicene Creed from 325. It's the creed that said Jesus is God. There's a Chalcedon Creed in 451 AD, and then there's some really good stuff in the Chalcedon Creed. There are definitely some things in the Chalcedon Creed I, or at the Council of Chalcedon I would definitely disagree with. I don't think they're biblical, but there's a lot of really good things in the Chalcedon Creed. So there's nothing per se wrong with a creed as long as a creed accurately reflects what the Word of God says, then a creed is fine. However, comma, what often happens is we have the Apostles' Creed or we have some other creed and people over the years begin to think that if I quote a creed, that gives me some kind of grace. It gives me some kind of benefit in heaven. You can quote a creed till you're blue in the face and never enter heaven. Creed, creeds do not add grace to your life. They may be a positive reinforcement of what you believe and what the Bible teaches as long as the creed leans into what the Bible says. Then the A is autonomy of the local church. In other words, no hierarchy outside the local church. We don't believe. As I get into the words that describe a pastor or pastors today, we don't believe any of those words describe somebody outside of the local church, like a, a bishop over a whole geographic region, or an archbishop over an entire religious denomination, or a pope over an entire religious denomination. We, we believe that there are, is no authority outside the local governance of the local church. Autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believer. We believe that when you place your faith in Christ, that you have direct access into the very throne room of God. 1 Timothy 1.5 says there is no, there's no mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus. In other words, the only mediator between me and God the Father is Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.1 says that we have an advocate with the Father, a defense lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. You, you don't need to come to me and ask me to somehow intercede to God for you. Now, you could come and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I would love to pray for you. I would, I would enjoy praying with you, for you. I love doing that. But you don't come to me to gain any, any grace. I can't give you any grace. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't give you grace to get to heaven. I can't give you grace in your spiritual journey 
That comes directly from the Father. You go through Jesus to the Father. That's, that's the biblical procedure. So I, the, the priest of the believer means that I can come boldly into the Holy of Holies any minute, the middle of the night, afternoon, day, I can come boldly into the Holy of Holies. Two offices, which is what we're talking about, and I explained kind of why I'm tapping that nail last week, pastors and deacons. We don't believe that there's another office. We don't believe that there's a, there's, it's because it's not in the Bible. Other offices are not in the Bible. They can be made up by men, but they're not in the Bible. <clears throat> Two offices. Individual soul liberty is one that we as Baptists have always believed in, and that's that we believe you should worship according to your conscience. If you really think about the first 15 words of the Bill of Rights, the that it's in our modern world today, we all we, people tend to go First Amendment, and they talk about freedom of the press and freedom to 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 gather and freedom to redress government against grievances. So very few people talk about the very first fifteen words. And James Madison and that Continental Congress, they debated. There were actually two original articles before what we know as the First Amendment, and they got they got pushed aside and. And so the order, I think, of the First Amendment is very, very telling. Those first 15 words, the state cannot establish a church and we all have free exercise. And in fact, when some churches have, were closed down during the lockdown, but certain state governments and states allowed other things to stay open and not have the restrictions, but they wanted to shut down the church, those, those went all the way to the Supreme Court. It happened in Nevada. It happened in California. And the Supreme Court ruled you cannot discriminate against the church by shutting a church down while you let other establishment, business, or places where people gather stay open because you're, you're limiting the free exercise of religion. And I go on and on in my Baptist History 2 class to explain the impact of Baptists in Orange County on James Madison the county that he lived in and he went to the presidency and he was elected to Congress from, one of the one of the greatest Baptist pastors of all time lived in that county and he pastored two churches. His name was John Leland. <clears throat> and he was a very close friend of Madison and Jefferson who lived only a few miles from him. And he met with them and there's actually a park just outside of, in, in Orange County, outside of the um, county seat that is a Madison-Leland Park where James Madison met with John Leland because Madison was running for the constitutional ratification in Virginia. Remember, every one of the states had to ratify the Constitution or, or we would go back to the Articles of Confederation, which were failing. <clears throat> and, and Leland Baptists were known as anti-federalists. They did not like a strong central government. They were very fearful. Baptists had been persecuted for hundreds of years and they, they, they wanted freedom. Baptists have always been a freedom-loving people. What most people don't know is the first, Baptists only comprised about 1% of the colonial population, but seven of Washington's first 13 chaplains were Baptist pastors. Let that sink in for a second. <clears throat> seven of, so over half of the first chaplains in the Revolutionary Army were Baptists. And yet Baptists were only 1%. Because Baptists had always believed in freedom. The Baptist pastor in New York, and his name just slips me now, and I'll kick myself for going down this rabbit trail because it's not in my notes and I'm working off of memory. But the Baptist pastor in John Gano, there I knew if I talked long enough, his name would come to me. Uh, John Gano was actually Washington's personal chaplain 
a Baptist pastor from New York City at the Battle of Brooklyn, and which in which Washington's army almost lost the entire Revolutionary War in 1776, retreating across the Hudson River. They were trapped by the British Navy. And I believe in God's providence, he sent thick fog and other issues happened so that Washington got his entire army, including John Gano. John Gano was with Washington almost the entire Revolutionary War as Washington's chaplain, and he was a Baptist pastor from New York City. <clears throat> so the influence of Baptists on this narrative of individual soul liberty, because Baptists were being put in jail as late as the 1760s, for immersing believers in Virginia, Baptists were going to jail. In the 1750s and the 1760s, Baptists were being whipped in Massachusetts for, for believers' baptism. The very first president of Harvard, a man by the name of Henry Dunster, became a Baptist, and he was, he was kicked out of his position and went through all kind of trauma because Henry Dunster became a, a Baptist. We have a lot to be very thankful for that Baptists came to America and went through persecution. So amongst other groups, Presbyterians did, Quakers did, the non-Anglican and non-Catholic faith traditions went through a lot of persecution in America to establish this idea of we worship according to conscience. Then another one that's very unique to Baptists is we believe salvation is a prerequisite to membership. In other words, we want a pure church. It doesn't mean that no one in a church ever sins. We all sin. But it means that we do not want an unregenerate person as a voting member of a church or a part of the church. Becoming a part of the church. So I'll use this as an illustration. My son, when he was five, we were in the military as an active duty chaplain. And once a month we would take communion. And we never let our son take communion. And I know some parents that let their children who are yet not believers take communion. And I, I, I think, wow, you're missing a great opportunity to teach them about what salvation is. And so the communion plate would go past and, and my son would ask my wife, can I take like everybody else? Can I, can I? And my wife would say, no, you're not a Christian. The next week would go by and she would say, no, you're not a Christian. And the next week would go, next month would come around and she would say, no, you're not a Christian. So one, one day my son, it dawned on him. He said, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Are you, are you getting how it spurred a conversation? <clears throat> and my wife said to him, she said, and she explained it. And, and we'd been talking about that in family devotions. And so finally, my wife said to my son, he said, he said, you know, um, you need to make an appointment. We didn't want him to just do something to, so he could take communion, right? <laughs> and um, we said, you know, you need to make an appointment with dad. And dad, you can go to dad's office and dad will show you how you can ask Jesus to come into your heart. And we wanted him to have a memory of this, and it be because most kids will go off and play. And so, one uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, he came to me and he said, "Mom says that I can ask Jesus into my heart if I make an appointment with you and go to your office on Saturday." <clears throat> and I said, "Yes." She'd already cued me in. You know how parents work that stuff. <clears throat> and she'd cued me in, and so I, I was like, "Yes, you can. We can. We can make an appointment on Saturday, and you can do that." Well. A week went by, and but I said, you have to remind me on Saturday. Well, he's five. He doesn't know when Saturday is. And I said, well, it's the day you don't go to school. <clears throat> so he, uh, he, 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 he was busy on Saturday and forgot, and we, we wanted him to remind us. So then he, it dawned on him the next month, communion came. He was like, oh, I'm not a Christian yet. So he came to his mom again, and she said, well, you need to make an appointment with dad, remember? And so he came to me in the middle of the week. And that went on a couple of months. And finally, on a Saturday morning, he'd asked me like Tuesday or Wednesday, and I said, 
Remind me on Saturday. Sometimes dad forgets these things. You know, you remind me. If you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart, you, you come to me. <clears throat> Saturday morning, he got up. He got himself dressed. And um, he came out, and he, he, had, he had his shoes on. And he was all dressed. And he said to me, he said, Dad, he said, I want to go to your office, and I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And I had a wonderful opportunity to share Jesus Christ with my son, and he prayed. We got in the car. We drove to the office. And if you ask him today, I guarantee he remembers it. Fast forward about two years, and um, Dave and Sarah are sitting in the car, and, and she's struggling. She's about five years old, and I don't know what we said to her that day. We used the word no on her, and you know that's not a good word to use on a five-year-old girl. And, um, and we had said no, and she was crying. And, and David looks over at her, and he goes, Sarah, he said, you, you, need to ask, you need to make an appointment with Dad and go to his office and ask Jesus to come into your heart. <clears throat> so I looked over at my daughter. We pulled into school, and uh, he got out. It was raining. I can still remember the day. And I looked at Sarah, and I said, Sarah, do you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart? She went, yes! And I had the privilege of taking my daughter. She was about six and taking her into my office, and she asked Jesus to come into her heart. And I teased with my wife a little bit. I said, you got to be there when you gave physical life to them, and I got to be there when they had their second birth. So I, I said we both were blessed that way. <clears throat> Salvation is a prerequisite to church membership. Two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> we don't believe that they are ordinances, not means of grace. You don't get any closer to God because you get baptized. You do have a clear conscience before God because you obey what he tells you to do when you get baptized after salvation. And then we believe in separation of church and state, which means that the church can influence the state, but the state is, has no means of telling the church what to do. The state is to remain separate from the church. And I cannot tell you how radical this idea is historically in the world. You go to the Middle East today, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, they have the amalgamation of mosque and church. For years and years and years, Europe had had the, the church... If the, if the church kicked somebody out, excommunicated them, then the state came along and burned them at the stake or chopped their head off because the church and state was one. And this is why the, as Baptists, now, as I said last week, different groups, faith traditions have believed some, most. But Baptists, this is a core belief system of, of who we are and what we believe because we believe it's taught in the word of God. Now, last week, I... I, I Talk to you about pastors are called by God and recognized by the church. The church ordains, God calls, but the church in modern times in the New Testament era recognize that and they and they lay their hands on them. We have what we call an ordination council, which is a function that we a form that we use. We don't know exactly how the elders um, interrogated or questioned those who wanted to be pastors. They had a process. We have a process today where we observe a man as a church and the pastors, sometimes from the area or from the church, will say we recognize this man to be a pastor, but the church votes on that ordination. It, it is the church that sends out the missionary. It is the church that ordains. It is not just a group of men that do that. As Baptists, we believe it's the church that does that. And then the, the pastors and deacons as representatives of the church lay their hands on him as he is called by God but recognize the church. And then I said last week, pastors are equal in essence but have different roles. And I, and I use the example of 
husband and wife being equal in essence, yet they have different roles in the home. A husband, a wife, and a child have different roles in the home, but they're all equal in essence. In other words, they're fully human, fully responsible to God. Their eternal soul is dependent on them individually placing their faith in Jesus Christ. They're equal in essence, but they have different roles. And I liken that to when we see the, the different roles we're going to talk about today. So some denominations, some faith traditions have said these different names apply to different humans. What we as Baptists would say, no, it's a different role. And, and I use the, you'll see it in a picture today. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say and then you'll see it. Is I'm in, a, I'm in different roles. I'm a, I'm a pop-pop to four little guys. Well, three little guys and one little girl. I'm a pop-pop. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a dada. I'm a abba, as I talked about in our prayer meeting. By the way, if you want to join us on Wednesday night, I'm enjoying teaching on prayer and we're having a time of prayer together. Wednesday night, you get that email. Come and join us on Wednesday night online. Love to have you be a part of that. Um, but I talked about Abba, our father, and it's the word Abba in the Aramaic. In other words, daddy. I'm, I'm a dad to Sarah and to Dave. I'm a husband to Elma. Um, I am, uh, when when I've been in different other, when I go to Arizona and I'm a chaplain, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a peer to other colonels, and I'm uh, in subordination to and uh, a general, general officers. So I, I have different roles, even though I'm the same person. So when we get into the names today, we view that as Baptists, as these are different roles of the same person, not different persons. Okay? So I just want to, is, is that clear? Since I'm kind of doing teaching and not preaching here for three or four Sundays of the open of the year, is that clear? Does anybody have a question before I press? I'm, I'm doing more teaching than I am preaching, but that's okay. Okay. So here's, here's in your notes. I've already mentioned this, but you can write it down now. <clears throat> Pastors do more than one job based on the name God uses to describe them. Pastors do, here's your note. Pastors do more than one job based on the name to describe them. <clears throat> so let me give you some examples. So 1 Timothy 5.17, I'm going to give you five different names I believe God uses to describe pastors, but each time he uses a name, he's describing a different activity in that context. Does that make sense? Okay, a different activity in that context. So the word for pastor in this context is elder, okay? So the word is that we're going to look at in this context is elder, and let me grab the rest of my notes. I just looked at my notes and I only have the first page. Um, my internet was down, so I could not, here it is. I couldn't print this morning at home. And I told Tiffany, please make sure you print my notes today because I won't have any notes. So I had I left them on my chair back there. So, so elder is the name. We're going to look at what an elder is, but it's, you can call a pastor an elder. When when a pastor is doing a certain role, he's in his elder role. When he's doing pastoral function, he's in a pastor role. So in this context of 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul is telling Timothy, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, sometimes we think of double honor, and there's an application here, to remuneration. That's, there's a truth to that. But just in passing, the word honor means is the Greek word tamao. The Greek word tamao, and it means to give great weight to. So in other words, um, we are 
we are to honor our father and mother, right? So let me ask you this. Have any of you as an adult known something your parents wished you to do, but you felt either on biblical grounds or just, oh, that's not good for me and my kids. But if any of you ever as an adult not do what you thought your dad or mom wished you to do as an adult? I have. That doesn't mean that I don't give honor to my parents, but sometimes I think my dad was wrong and I'm a 40-year-old man with a family and he wished that I would do this and it wasn't that I was disobeying the word of God. He just as a human, had he wished I would do it this way or my mom wished I would do it this way and I, I listened to them. I gave tamao. I gave honor to them. I gave weight to them, but obedience, children obey your parents in the Lord, stops obedience stops when a child becomes an adult. Now the command is that I give honor to my parents. So my dad would talk to me. I would say, hey, I give honor to you. I give weight to you. I, I honestly think that what this verse is teaching us is that elders that rule well should be counted worthy of double giving weight to. Now that may be a level of financial remuneration too, but I think the, the beaming of Tama'o, when you look at its other uses in the New Testament, means I listen more intently to that person who has the gift of teaching. That I give weight to that elder. Okay, that's an aside, but let's get into the different names. So I put Tiffany picked some great pictures here for us, and it's this guy being in his different roles, right? I've already explained that. But here's, all the, here's a man, and here's all the different roles. He's the same person. So let's look at the word pastor. So there's five words we're going to look at today. Okay, so let's work at the word pastor. It comes from a Greek word. Does anybody want pasture? It comes from the derivation poimen is the Greek, and it means to shepherd. So let's look at a couple times this word is used in the New Testament. It's used a lot of places. And I love the name Pastor Mike. I, I love that. I In fact, after child of God... Father of Elma, Dad of Sarah and David, and Pop-Pop of Braden, Bentley, Theo, and Ellie, I think Pastor is the greatest name that I have. So you say, wow, we're really down on the list. Yeah, you actually are. Okay, after that list that I gave you, um, you kind of are. But let's look at how it's used. And he himself gave some to be apostles, <clears throat> some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So the word pastor there is poimen. It's this shepherding. It's this shepherding idea. And in fact, Peter uses the exact same word, and it's not translated pastor. It's translated shepherd the flock of God, pastor the flock of God, which is among you, pastor. So this idea of pastor is that he's a guide. He's an advisor. He's a counselor. He's caring. So we know that the Old Testament kings are called shepherds. We know God is called a shepherd. We know that New Testament pastors are called under shepherds and they are called shepherds. Shepherd the church of God. One of our favorite Old Testament Psalms is Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. And I love that text where it says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
So an, an Old Testament shepherd, and you can actually go to Israel today and you will still find sheep and little generally Arab boys that are 11, can't be more than 12 or 13, and they've got 30, 40, 50 sheep and they're out on a hillside and it's still that, that economy is still their day. Now, often they have in the Old Testament a rod and a staff was two ends of the same stick. So on one end, have you ever seen like the, an emblem of a shepherd and he has the shepherd's crook? Have you ever seen that shepherd's crook that he would have? Think of that as the crook that when a sheep, sheep are really not bright. Did you know that? And I hate to be mean to us that God calls us, we're the sheep of his pasture, but you know, we're not that bright, right? Do you know that if a sheep, and my dad was a shepherd as a kid growing up, he grew up on a dairy farm, but they had about 40 or 50 sheep. And my dad has told me all kinds of stories about sheep. You know that when a sheep gets on its back, it can't roll over. It will just lay there and be eaten by a wolf. It can't. It doesn't have the physical ability to, to roll over. It, it, it gets on its back and it cannot stand. You literally have to, if a sheep rolls down a hill and it's on its back, a shepherd has to come along with his crook and, and upright the sheep and get the sheep back on its feet. One of the reasons a shepherd has a crook is because sheep get into mischief all the time and shepherds have to come and rescue them. They're always, they're, they're dumb. They, and so the crook is there so that the shepherd can get them out of entanglements. He can, he can pull them out of, he can get around their neck and yank them out of the problem. Now on the other end is a, what they call thy rod and thy staff. The other end is a rod. So the other end, when sheep are, sheep, how a, you, you always see dogs around the sheep. Sheep are afraid of dogs. They don't like the dogs. And the dogs keep them going in the right direction. But as a little shepherd boy, what you learn is that if you get the head sheep to go in the right direction, all the other sheep are like, and they just follow wherever that sheep goes. And so the shepherd knows that he needs to control the head sheep, the strongest sheep. He needs If he is in control of that sheep, everything else is good between the dogs and the head sheep. His job is not that hard. The rod is a is at the end of that staff. It's it's a ball. And and the shepherd uses it to whack the sheep along the ribcage. He can use it to whack the sheep. So it's interesting that David says the shepherd has a rod and a staff. One one is if one is to rescue them, to come alongside. We would use the analogy of a pastor of guiding. We would use the analogy of counseling, of caring. All of those, they, they, that's the staff. The, the rod, is, it's not used to break a bone. It's not, he's, I mean, this is his livelihood. He's not going to kill a sheep. But it's, his, it's, it's the one, you know, how many have ever potty trained a, a puppy? Anybody ever potty trained a puppy? Oh, what a joyful event, right? You get the, you get the piece of paper and you smack them when they piddle and, you know, you kind of... You're not going to kill the dog. You paid too much money for that dog. You're not going to kill the dog. But that's the same idea. And sometimes we think in our modern nation, our modern culture, well, it means pastor. It means like he's like a, a therapist. And, you know, I just can tell him all my woes. And, and he's just supposed to say, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Well, that's the staff part. But the rod part is to say, well, how are you going to change your life to conform to the image of God's dear son? And here's what you did over here, and that's not, and here's what you did 
And we don't want to, we don't want to hear that from our shepherd. And yet the word of God says to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. That's a part of being a pastor. Thy rod and thy staff, they both comfort me. So I hate, hesitate to ask you this, but I will, because I'll put my hand up and I'll be the first on the guillotine of spirituality. How many of you have ever gone through discomfort and in the middle of it, you knew God was talking to you about some area in your life that you needed to stop or start and you knew that God was, we use the terminology, chastening you. You knew that. Got my hands up. <clears throat> so what does Hebrews say about the chastening of God? He only chastens his own who? Children. I never spanked my neighbor's kids even though I thought they needed it. <laughs> <laughs> I spanked my own kids because they were my own kids. Do you know that the New Testament version of thy rod and thy staff that comfort me is Hebrews 12. No chastening today seems to be joyous but grievous. But to him that is exercised by it, in other words, that word exercise is the word gymnasium. You go to God's gymnasium and it's, it's hurtful, it's hard, it's, it's a struggle. But those who are exercised by God's chastening in the end yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The rod of God is every bit as comforting as the staff of God. We like the staff. Thank you, Lord. Save me, Lord. Rescue me. Ah! And he rescues us. We go, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> but sometimes he, he needs to smack us a little bit with the rod, too, because that reminds us, oh, I shouldn't have gotten in that mess in the first place. I made some poor choices. That's what a pastor does. That's a part of poor men. But notice number two, bishop. <clears throat> so that 1 Peter 5, 2, it says, shepherd, if you go back, and let's see if I can do it. So shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. That's the first part of 1 Peter 5, 2. Then he uses another word to describe the pastor, serving as overseers. That's another word. We would translate it bishop. We, we, you, it's generally translated bishop, and it's the word episkopos, and we get the word episcopalian from it. Because Episcopalians believe that there are bishops over regional areas and that this bishop is a different person, not the pastor of a local church, but this denotes a different person. We as Baptists would say, no, 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 no. It, it's in the same context. Pastor is shepherding, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then he's saying, you're serving as an administrative overseer. Same person. Because the word bishop uh, is used in ancient Sparta and Greece. So the context of, of Paul using this term, it was used as the president of a college. This word overseer or bishop, episkopos, is used of a president of a college. Um, they always had, in the, in the ancient world, secular Greek, this word would have always had administrative and judicial leadership, bossship. The bishop is normally singular. There's a debate on one text. We had a great chat after church about that last week. But normally it's bishop. And elder is almost always plural, maybe denoting a little bit different between a senior pastor and other pastors. But I really think all pastors are bishops. I think all pastors have administrative and judicial leadership and overship. Um, this is an administrative role. This is an oversight role. 
And notice that we're overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. In other words, I shouldn't be as a pastor. The pastor shouldn't be, so stop and think, health and wealth gospel pastors. Absolutely in violation of this text. They, they have taken the role of administrative leadership, which is what Bishop Episcopos denotes. They've taken the role of administrative leadership, administrative bossship, but what they're doing is they're siphoning some of the money or they're getting a really big, and I will tell you this, some of your biggest name pastors in the last 10 years that were not in congregational church government churches, but what we call elder rule churches, well known, that have had huge falls. They were making 250, 300,000, 350,000. It's been disclosed now in comp confidential emails and and all this kind of stuff that they were actually, they were getting dishonest gain in that role. In that bishop's role, they were getting dishonest gain. So the idea for a bishop is that he, he is an administrative leader. This person acts in an administrative and a judicial role. But when we get to elder, but he's still one of the elders as well. That's another role in his life. So let's use see how Paul uses this word bishop. He says, for a bishop, oh, so the when the pastor in his administrative oversight role, he must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. That's Titus 1.7. We read in Acts 1.20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let another... And I got to look down here because I can't read it on the screen. For let his place be desolate and let no one live in it. Let another take his office. The word office is the word bishop. Now this is talking about Judas Iscariot. And after Judas Iscariot commits a suicide, they, they vote in Matthias as being the 12th apostle. And, and Peter is quoting the Old Testament. And he says, let another take his administrative leadership role. Let another take his office. The word office is the same word as overseer, and it's the same word as bishop. Those are all the same Greek words. We just translate them a little bit differently because the text means just slightly little different, but I'm, I'm illustrating the meaning of the word. The function of a bishop is an administrative leadership oversight role. Those are his functions in the church. I honestly believe that applies to every pastor. Now, some pastors are going to have a greater gift of administration. Some will have a greater gift of leadership. Some will have a greater gift of financial oversight. Some will have a greater gift of poimen, pastoring, counselor. Sometimes we have a counseling pastor in a bigger church. He may be a little bit weaker in administration and oversight and really great in counseling, but that doesn't mean that he, he shouldn't be able to do administration. The Bible says when we get to it that... that an elder has to be someone who's apt to teach. I have some people say, well, I'm just going to be an administration pastor. And I say, well, if you can't teach, you, you have to be able to teach to be a pastor, even if you're, you're better at administration, even if you're better at organization, or you can't be a pastor because a pastor has to be apt to teach at the same time. So again, these are roles that the same guy or men, depending on the size of the church, will have. It's his office. So the office is an episkopos. It is, it is uh, a president of a college kind of 
role. But notice elder. So let me give you some verses. So we already had talked about this when we've been reading it the last two weeks, an elder. So when they had appointed elders at every church and prayed with fasting, they commanded, commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Elder. So an elder is presbyteros. We get the word Presbyterian from this. So there's one system of church government called elder rule. And in elder rule, they believe that, and this is a Presbyterian system, that all the pastors are equal, that there is no what we would call senior pastor. And I'm going to explain from the another word why I believe that's wrong. There's other reasons why, but we believe in congregational government, not elder rule. In other words, in an elder rule church, the elders can make decisions about the finances. They make decisions about the budget. They make decisions about the church going into debt. You have a major church in the Chicago area in which it, it grew rapidly, had a very charismatic, if I said the name of the pastor, some of you would know the name of the pastor and the ministry, planted many churches. And what came out as the church started to crumble is these six elders had taken the church into $97 million of debt. And as things started to come out and people started to leave, they couldn't, they couldn't pay the debt. And the people didn't realize the level of debt that the church was in. <clears throat> that, amongst many reasons, are why I believe in congregational church government. The, I believe that the congregation votes the pastor, votes a budget, votes multiple different things, but the congregation then gives leadership and authority to the senior pastor, and we're going to get to that, and saying, Pastor, you are chosen by God, authenticated by the voice of the church, you are to be these words. So elder, you are to do these different roles. Elder means, oh my goodness, it has so many different words. Overseer of the workforce is, is a usage of this word, um, presbuteros. It is used of a magistrate in a Greek city that has oversight over the finances of the city as well as civil and judicial um, organization of the city. Um, it is used constantly in secular Greek of someone that oversees administratively a team of people. So all of those derivations is mean it's very similar to bishop, it's very similar to episkopos, but it has more of a hands-on. So think foreman. Any of you ever worked on a, on a construction site or anything like that as a kid and you had a, a boss on the site? Anybody ever work in a situation like I did? I'll never forget when I was in college and there were no jobs available. And, and um, uh, my best friend and I, who's a pastor now, we, we got a, a day job to go clean asbestos <clears throat> off a of public school. So we are all in our gas masks. And it was me getting ready for Mop 4 in the military, Dylan. And I was me figuring out, wow, why did I do this? But anyway, we were in gas masks. It was 110 in Phoenix. And we're in a gas mask inside of a public school. And we got these plastic, or not plastic, but um, rubber gowns on, those like hazmat suits that you see. And they, they, they found when they were redoing the building that it was all full of asbestos. So there was a crew of about 100 of us. And we were being paid $6 an hour. We thought we had hit the mother load. $6 an hour. We were making, it was incredible. Who would... This is amazing. We're going to get almost $50 for one day's work. We got into those like hazmat suits. It's 110 degrees. 
There's no wind movement. They only have fans because then you blow the, the carcinogens all around, right? And you are given a little putty scraper and your job is to scrape the beams up on 30-foot ladders that you were scraping. He and I did that job one day and we said, no amount of money is worth this. But we had a foreman on that job site that would come and say, you guys aren't working hard enough. Get back to work, get back to work. I am, since we were the only two people out of about 60 workers that had an Anglo name, I'm not sure that any of them else had green papers or I think it, it was a, it was a, you know, that kind of an environment, but it was, we had a foreman and he was out there on us all the time and on us all the time. I'll never forget my very first job at a Dairy Queen. And uh, my boss came up to me about the fifth day and he said words I've never forgotten. He said, Mike, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. I was like, oh my goodness, I thought I was here to flip hamburgers and pull ice cream. But no, if, I, if there was nobody in the store, I was to get a mop and I was, to, I was to take initiative and he would come up to me and go, if there's time to lean, it's time to clean. And that was, that's a foreman. Now, <clears throat> those foremen did that role sometimes in not a nice way. <clears throat> but the elder of the church is the overseer of the workforce. So let me give you a, a spiritual example. So as you know, I, I had the privilege of pastoring a larger church. When, when I came to Tri-City, we were running about 350, and we eventually grew to something over 800. <clears throat> and um, had a multiplicity of pastors, elders, whatever term you want to use, whatever role they were in that particular day. <clears throat> and um, I had a great music pastor. Um, and I, I've often said about him, uh, I hired him after I've been there a few years, and um, I, I've had a lot of music. I've known a lot of music pastors. I've worked with a lot of music pastors. I've been a teenager under music pastors. He was the first person I ever knew who was a pastor of music. Does, does, do you get the little nuance difference between a music pastor and a pastor of music? He'd grown up in a parsonage. His dad had pastored for 50 years. In fact, his dad just retired after pastoring in four different churches. <clears throat> and he just had a great, what I would call a poi man, a pastor's heart. <clears throat> he was just great. Well, we we got into working together a few years, and we had hymnals, just like we all do here. And I started talking about some of the form and function stuff that I've talked to you about. And um, <clears throat> I went to him and I said, I really think, I mean, our auditorium was not built to put a screen up. Like, it was an older auditorium, just like this one. It wasn't built to have words on the screen. And I went to him and I said, I really think it would help our worship if we put words on a screen. Well, that he had been trained that putting words on a screen, it was right there next to purgatory and hell. And um, <clears throat> we know that. If you go back 30 years ago, we all know that this is true. And um, he, just, he just didn't, he, he had all these reasons why that wouldn't be a good idea. And I said, okay. So I took him through the reasons. And he's, he's to this day, one of my very top five best friends in the ministry. I just, I mean, he's just an amazing pastor, still pastoring in that church has been pastoring there for years and years and years and has a wonderful family. And his daughter just got married. And I mean, it's just a wonderful pastoral family. <clears throat> and he had all these reasons why I wouldn't. And so I was like, I really think we can still be hymn centric and our, they can come out of the hymnal and so I kind of backed off and let it sit for a couple, three months. <clears throat> I went back to him and said, have you thought about that? Yeah, Pastor, I just don't think I, you know, he was more afraid of what his friends would think in the music world about if he was doing this. And <clears throat> I said, well, 
I said, you went to a school. I said, did any of the, the, the professors that taught you these things, did any of them actually pastor any place other than in the little city in which, they, no, they never actually been a pastor. They were professors. I said, okay, well, you know, so I'm the elder here, and I'm saying I really think, well, you know, <clears throat> so he kind of slow rolled it for several more months, for several more months. <clears throat> and, I, and I had all kinds of reasons. I said, well, we just said about Ashley's song today, right? How many of you, let me just ask this, how many of you, because we've sung that song around here t before, how many of you would say you have all the words to Ashley's offertory memorized? You have all of them memorized. <clears throat> okay, you know, the hands are up, the music people. <laughs> not, not you normal people. I'm not, not that music people aren't normal. I didn't, did I say, yeah, did I say the quiet part out loud, Ashley? Did I, did I say that out loud? Okay, yeah, you aren't normal, Greg. We get that, okay, we... We understand that that goes for you too, Heather. So don't think you're getting out of this, okay? So, so I said to him, I said, but I don't know that everybody. So when we have an offertory or the choir would sing, you know, he would be like, but but if if I put words on a screen during the choir number, he said my choir won't articulate. I go, okay. So I didn't say this to him. This is what I thought, dude. We, it's not a university choral that's up there. These are common, great, godly Christians, but you're never going to get them to be 85 music majors at Brigham Young and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This is not, this is not who our church is ever going to be. And, but if we do that, I can't. And he had all these reasons. So we probably, at least for a year and a half, maybe two years, just gently went back and forth on that. And finally, I said to him, I'm the pastor. I'm the elder. You will do this. I'm the Episcopos. I'm the Presbyteros. You will do this. We've talked about it enough. You will do this. <clears throat> okay, pastor. I've always been taught I need to, I need to obey my pastor. <clears throat> okay. Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. Hebrews 13, 7. <clears throat> so <clears throat> he did it. Next Sunday, it like shocked our congregation. The offertory, the offertory was on the screen. The choir number was on the screen. <clears throat> it was still in a hymnal. I mean, we sang hymns, but if you wanted, so if you wanted to sing harmony, you just like we do here, right? Uh, it's on the, if you want to sing harmony, pick up your songbook. And if we're singing a chorus that you don't know, we usually will print the, and so you can have it. If you want to sing harmony, you can follow the little dots and sing harmony. Yay. All that, all those concerns we addressed. He came up to me after the service was over. Well, Monday morning staff meeting, he came to me privately and he said, Pastor, I need to apologize to you. Oh, I said, what for? He said, I was wrong. <clears throat> he said, and I've been wrong for whatever, a year and a half. And he said, I've, I've been rebelling against you because I didn't want to do what you wanted me to do. And he said, I knew what you wanted me to do. And he said, I was afraid, get this, he said, I was afraid the older people in the church would be upset and think we were going liberal if we put words on a screen. <clears throat> and I said, so what happened? He said, I had one elderly person after another come up to me after church and say, for the first time, I know what the choir is saying. Are you tracking with me? He said, I had one lady who just, he named the lady, she called, oh, a godly lady, a wonderful lady in our church, probably in her early 80s, probably the age of my parents today. <clears throat> and she came up to him and said, 
This is the first time I've actually worshipped during the choir special in 20 years because for 20 years I've never understood a word the choir said because my hearing is so bad I can't understand the choir. Thank you for putting the words on the screen because now I can worship with the words on the screen. And he and I are great friends today. We were great friends then. But in my role as elder, I had to stop talking and I had to give an order. I had to say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. We've talked about the rationale for it. This is what, and you know what? Today, that church sings off a screen. All the offertories are on. And it's like the elderly people love it because they, can, they, don't, they don't have to worry. And you know what? The choir is as good as it ever was. And they don't articulate. <laughs> because it's a great choir of godly people that aren't in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They were never going to do that. But they can learn and they can get better. This is what an elder is. It says in Acts 20, 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders. These are the, these are the, uh, these are the presbyteros. He calls for the elders of the church. <clears throat> Here's another example. James 5.14, is anyone among you? Let him call for the elders. This is them working in their role as overseers. This is, this is them working in the role. This, this word elder is also used in Greek literature as the magistrate of a city. The magistrate of a city. And he tells t Titus, he says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So let me give you one more, and our time is going. I've got, let me give you one more um, ancient church story. How many of you have ever heard the name Polycarp? Has anybody, I've used the name a couple of times. Famous, famous Christian pastor martyr. <clears throat> Polycarp, as a teenager and a young 20-something, was mentored by the Apostle John. John would have been in his 80s and 90s. And Polycarp had knowledge of John and, and was a part of John's ministry. So Polycarp got oral history as well as the words John wrote. Polycarp got, I mean, can you imagine sitting at the feet of the Apostle John? Tell me some stories about Jesus. Heather picked a song today, Tell Us the Story of Jesus. Could you imagine being Polycarp and actually got to hear the story of Jesus from the guy who laid his head on Christ's breast at the Last Supper. Polycarp becomes a very famous pastor. <clears throat> Polycarp is the one that says when they're about to execute him and he's told, just throw a pinch of incense on Caesar's altar. I don't want to kill, the governor said, an elderly man. You're obviously, you've done good works to the village and the cities around here and you're, you're spoken highly of. Just throw a pinch on the altar and you don't ever, you can worship your own God, just throw the pinch and Polycarp is the famous pastor who said, 80 and six years have I served him, and he's done me no wrong. How can I betray him now? <clears throat> and he was executed. He was burnt at the stake. So we know Polycarp was likely into his mid-90s when that took place, that he wasn't think, saying, I've been saved from my birth. <clears throat> but here is something that Polycarp wrote. He wrote to the, a letter to the Philippians, okay, 100 years or so, 75 years after Paul wrote, to that same church, and Polycarp refers to only deacons and pastors. This goes back to that two offices. He refers to presbyters. He, he refers to elders. He only refers to deacons and elders, and, he, and he, Polycarp, the bishops or presbyters, the elders, are virtually the same thing. He, he, doesn't, he sees them in different roles, but they're the same thing. 
and his initial greeting bears witness. He says, Polycarp and the elders or presbyters with him. And Polycarp lists the, the, the jobs that the elders did. They included financial administration, discipline, pastoral care, and preaching. Those were all the things that the elders, those were roles that the elders did. Now this is the church in 130, 140, and this is a direct disciple of John writing this. Elder. <clears throat> Very quickly, I've got two more words for you, and I know our time is way gone. <clears throat> to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So I've talked about this one a little bit last week. The word angel means messenger. It's used in Greek of, of any messenger sent by a king. It, this does not have to be, but we understand why we would say angel is a, is a spirit being because it's a messenger from God, right? Angels come from God in the Old Testament. They give revelation. But the question is, you've got seven churches here, Revelation 2.1. Then if your Bible is open, Revelation 2.8, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, uh, Revelation 2.12, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, at Revelation 2.18, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira, right? Revelation 3.1, to the angel of the church Sardis, right? At Revelation 3.7, the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? And Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, right? There's only two options as to this angel is. This is either a spirit being that floats around invisible to Littleton Baptist Church. And John, if he was alive today, would be writing a letter to that spirit being. And the point of that would be, <clears throat> I mean, you realize that 50% of the, the ancient church was illiterate. So this letter is going to be read out loud to the whole church. <clears throat> the Really, the only option here that I see is he's writing singularly, and remember it's to Ephesus where they had a plurality of elders because the elders came to Paul, plural, but he writes singularly to the angel of the church. It's not angels. <clears throat> I firmly believe that what John is saying is through the Holy Spirit is he's holding the senior pastor accountable for what takes place in the church. <clears throat> you, can, you can read, like if we go to Laodicea, which is the last one, how would you like to, if that's true, and I don't, I don't know any other answer. I've had different people try to come and give me other answers, and by the time we got done dialoguing about it, it was like, Okay, I mean, there would be no reason for God to hold a spirit being accountable for the failures of a church. There would be no purpose for that. <clears throat> if my understanding of this is correct, think about being the pastor, the senior pastor of the church of Laodicea, and this letter being read out loud to you, Revelation 3.14. And to the senior pastor of the church of Laodicea write... These things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. 
to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My understanding is that was written specifically to the senior pastor to hold him accountable for what's going on in that church. Wow. I would not want him to have been that pastor. The angel of the church is the messenger of God. That's the meaning of the word angel, messenger. So any pastor who ever stands in the pulpit and doesn't understand the awesome responsibility that he is the messenger of God to the church, not his own opinions, but the word of God, he mistakes his responsibility. Now I want you to notice lastly, and I'm quickly a teacher. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. So today has been much more teaching, more like our ABF hour. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I believe pastors and teachers, that's another role. Pastor, shepherd, rod and staff, teacher, the word is didaskos, truth, truth teller, teacher, explainer. This is one who teaches the church. So in my understanding and Baptist historic understanding, all of these people are the same person. So when you say, hey, Pastor Mike, you're literally asking me, okay, hey, pastor, shepherd, counselor, guide. Elder is a, an oversight role. Bishop, that's, that's an administrative role. Teacher, that's an information role. Messenger of God, what, what do you think God would have me to do? So a lot of times people will come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think God would have me do? And you know what I say? I'll say, let me step back and let me pray about that and let me get back to you. So we understand that all of